finishing up from last week's lesson that we started in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 through chapter 3, verse 6. The title is uh, Captive Ministers, Part 2. So let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for today, and I thank you again for your blessings. And Father, I thank you for your love for us. And Lord, I thank you for the instructions that you give us in your word. Um, Lord, as imperfect as we are, um, your word is perfect. And so, Father, I pray that you help us to know and understand and, and to bring that to obedience in our life. And so, Lord, I thank you for it, and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we had talked about, um, we had finished up with talking about how the, uh, the Romans would bring the, their prisoners into a parade and they would lead them down through the city. Uh, when, they, when they conquered a city, the, the generals would lead them through and that was the reward or part of the reward for their, uh, for their victory in battle and they would be led as captives. And Paul's describing himself as being led as Jesus' captive down through uh, as he's walking through life. And also he describes that the gospel message is the aroma of Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel. To some people, it's a pleasing aroma. To some people, it's a stench. It's nasty. They don't want it. Uh, but then there's others that are, that are hearing the gospel message. And as they hear the gospel message, it's, a, it's an aroma that's pleasing to them and it draws them into a relationship with Christ because they understand now um, their, their position as a sinner and the love and the offer of salvation and the offer of holiness that Jesus Christ and the message of Jesus Christ brings. So if we pick it up in verse 17 of chapter 2, Paul says, Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. And then into chapter 3, we are beginning, excuse me, are we, thank you, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letter, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So in, in verse 17 of chapter 2, in, in Paul's day, there was no lack of false apostles. Um, it, we know that. We've heard Paul. We, we see Paul talk about false apostles in practically every one of his letters, uh, except for, I think, Philemon. Um, but in all of the other letters to churches, there's always a mention to beware of false apostles and false teachers. So according to Paul, the ministry of so many um, was not a matter of, uh, it, it became a matter of self-interest. 
Um, and so Paul's ministry in Corinth, uh, as, as he's, he's describing this to them, he's, he's telling them that when I've come to you, I wanted to make sure that I paid my own way. I want to make sure that, that there was nothing in his motive that would, that would appear as though he's doing it for some sort of personal benefit from them. And so as he goes through this, uh, he's making it clear this is not the first time. When, he, when you look at chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? There's an implication here that, that he'd been accused of this already once before. And so what happens today, oftentimes in, in our churches, uh, in, like in the... In the the North American church culture, I guess you could say, it's really easy to blurry the picture that Paul is demonstrating when you have paid on staff people in a church. Now, I'm not saying that it's sinful to, to pay your pastors or anything like that. I, I don't, I, I'm not accusing those churches, but what Paul's describing here is when there's a salary incorporated, it's difficult to, to differentiate between those who are doing it for profit and those who are doing it out of genuine concern. So he gives the description in second, or, uh, 1 Timothy, and we'll go there in a little while, uh, 1 Timothy 5, he says that, that a person who leads the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor. That's not saying you establish a salary for them. That's saying if this person here speaks spiritually into me and lifts my life, I should compensate that person for, for it. And so it's, a, it's not a church body that's doing that, but it's individual to individual to, to give and to make sure that the needs are provided for. And it's not to take them from driving a Chevrolet to a Mercedes either. <laughs> and that's not the goal. Um, but it is to make sure that their needs are, are well provided for so that they don't have to worry about what's going to be on the table next week. So that they don't have to worry about where they're going to get the money to pay their bills and things like that. And so those concerns are lifted from them because there are people, they're speaking into people's lives, and in return, things, material things are being taken care of. Yes? Did, <laughs> that's a good question. Did you hear me say false teachers? <laughs> let, let me read verse 17 to you again. Unlike so many... We do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. So that's, that's an important thing to keep in mind. And so, um, you know, like I said, I don't, I don't look at churches who do pay their pastors. Um, but it's hard for a pastor who is being paid for what they do to preach 1 Timothy 5. Um, and not sound like okay, you need to give me more. Um, and so there's a, there's a uh, what Paul is describing here when he goes into Corinth and when he writes to Corinth, what he is describing to them is when we came, I, and the way he puts it is, I robbed other churches so that you didn't have to do anything, so that nothing was necessary. So it doesn't mean that he abused those kind of, you know, the gifts and things like that that were given. But what he did say is, you know, if you look back and, and you see how Philippi gave in the churches in Macedonia, they didn't give 
in comparison to what the people in Corinth were able to give, they gave according to what they had. And so churches in, in the, the um, oh, what's the word? The lifestyle of the people in Macedonia was more of a, a middle class where the people in Corinth were a little bit higher class, so they had more resources to give. But the people of Macedonia, even though they maybe didn't give, if you counted dollars and cents, they might not have given as much. But if you compared that to what their income was, they gave out of their poverty, and that's how he describes that. And so what the Lord did with that was just magnificent in how you know, he took care of Paul's needs in a higher society or a higher culture uh, when he was in Corinth. So... Anyway, um, the word, when he uses the word pedal, um, this, this word comes from the Greek word that means to hawk pedal. And I went, okay, to hawk pedal. Uh, and so when you think about how a hawk uh, hunts for food, he flies around, he looks, okay, where's the best hunting ground? And so there will be people in churches today that will look at communities and they'll look at cities and things like that and, they'll, and they will enter into ministries in those communities based on what they can get in return. Whether it be financial, uh, material, or whether even sometimes we do that and say, okay, what's the greatest spiritual return going into uh, a certain area or that kind of thing? We want to see because we want to elevate ourselves because we want to be able to say that we baptized a thousand people. Or we want to be able to say that they came in droves, you know, where the reality is, you know, when Paul gives the instructions of discipleship, when you look at people like uh, uh, D.L. Moody or um, people like uh, Billy Graham, they didn't come to Christ in a big arena like that. Most of them, most of the people that you know that were great men of God came to Christ because somebody met them on the street and met them right where they were and shared the gospel with, of Jesus Christ with them and took them and said, let's follow the Lord together. And then they, they matured into a godly person uh, and were used greatly for, um, for, the, for the cause of Christ. And it's easy to look at that situation and say, well, Billy Graham had these great crusades and all these people came. But if you look at the end result, Billy Graham, when he went into a community, he always had local pastors who came in. And so when people did come, they were connected immediately with somebody locally that would take them and say, okay, let's walk together. And so there was always the position uh, of discipleship um, implemented in, in, the, in the events that were going on. So some of the merchants in Jerusalem, um, as Paul is, is speaking about this, they would take the wine that was being sold and they would dilute it with water. And they knew that. These people that he's talking to knew that. And so he's using that as a, um, as a, uh, a picture as well about peddling uh, the gospel of Christ. And they're looking for the way, you know, how, how, the, how the merchants would do this. They would attempt to increase their profits, um, you know, and, and that kind of thing. So they would be adultering the word of God. So if we look at Acts 20... Mm -hmm. 
I don't, I don't say that I, I don't believe in paying them. I, I just don't agree with how the, the North American church has, has taken and said, you know what, everybody just give to the church and the church as a body will decide an amount to give them. Uh, because the example that Paul gives us, he, you never see that in the New Testament. What you see is Paul going to, into a church, <clears throat> and even when he establishes leaders in the churches, um, there's never any talk about salary. Right. And so Paul always says, though, we never cost you anything. We always provided for ourselves. So when he went into a community, rarely did he ever have gifts coming from the previous church until after he walked in, found somebody, found some place to go to work, and he went to work. And while he was at work, he started talking to his coworkers about Christ. And then on, on the Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and he would preach to the leaders in the church. And then when he was kicked out of there, <laughs> then he would go to the, the people, because sometimes when he was kicked out, there would be a few, that would, you know what, I think I'm going to go with him and see what he's got to say. And then he would begin teaching in homes and a church would be established. Um, so we don't ever see anywhere um, where Paul says, what's that? No? We'll, we'll, we'll touch on that. We'll touch on that in just a minute. Right, right. And that is a mark uh, for that. Right. And, and that's, I think that's made, made clear in 2 Corinthians 2 and 3 as well. If the motive, it's, it's hard for it not to become a motive, like what Madeline just said. If a pastor's in a church and he gets an offer from another church, hey, you know, we really need an associate pastor over here and we can pay you more than what you're making now. If that pastor goes, hmm, wow, that sounds pretty appealing. I won't have to work as hard and I'll make more money and I'll be able to take care of my family uh, and, and better. And then they'll pack up and they'll move. Um, that is a difficult temptation when, when there is a salary involved. And so uh, Jim described it like this once before, and you may remember this. He said, if you've got two leaders in a church, two elders in a church, and they're equally passionate, they're equally discipling, um, they're working, they have per jobs uh, of their own, and they're still investing in, in people equally, and they're both um, recognized by everyone as co-leaders in the church, as soon as you give one of them a salary, the scale tips okay and so that's the warning that and it's not that it's ever intended to be that way and those two men may still be the exact same people the same passion and everything um, but it's it's our nature to look at the one now that's being paid or employed to look at that one and elevate them and the other one to to bring them you know not not elevate them the same and so, you know, that's, that's a caution that's there. And anytime finances are involved in leadership, as far as a, uh, treating the church as a corporation, uh, I, I'm convinced that that's what we've done is we've, we've in the North American churches is we've, we've started treating it like a business. And when that happens, the gospel message becomes blurry 
uh, because we start looking at it and say, well, are they doing it? Because, and it's easy to question their motive. Are they doing it because of the money? Uh, or are they doing it because they're genuinely out of genuine concern for Christ? And Paul says, I rely fully on Christ. And somebody comes along behind him and says, here's a gift, Paul. Oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> here's your needs, or here's everything that, that you need uh, to continue on. And when he goes into the next community, he does the same thing. And so what happens is the only time that Paul moves into full-time ministry is when Timothy and all of his co-workers in Christ come alongside him and they all go to work. And they all earn money and they all are continuing to minister just like Paul was before they arrived. And they're all working and they're going, here, Paul, here, take this. Here. What's that? It's possible. I'm not sure if it's written. I don't know. Um, but I know that that's how it always transpired. That's how it always was executed. So, yes. Yeah, and even that's a blurry picture, too. Um, because every time pastors and leaders in churches in Paul's day in the early church um, were uh, positioned, they were always from inside the body. They always were uh, discipled and brought up to a place to where <clears throat> when they became, got, became more and more mature, um, Wayne, you know, when he's teaching a uh, men's Bible study, he often says, you know, somebody's going to replace me one of these days. It's not going to be somebody from out there. It's going to be somebody that's been under his leadership and under the leadership of the people in the church already for a time. And, and it's going to be obvious that their walk with the Lord is, is where it should be to come up and replace him. And then it will be a unified uh, decision by the body because everybody will look at that person and go, yeah, yeah, man, oof. That guy or that person, they are doing what God wants them to do, and, and clearly God has called them. So, somebody else have their hand up? No? Okay. Does that answer your question, Chris? <laughs> so, so. Yeah, so, I mean, well, l let's just read these couple verses, and then we'll go to 1 Timothy 5, and, and, uh, and this will help you. Uh, Acts 20 verses 32 through 35. So Paul has actually already been to Corinth here for the second time, uh, or the third time, excuse me, that he describes, and he's on his way back to Jerusalem, and he stops along the way uh, just south of Ephesus and calls out the leaders from Ephesus to come and meet him. So, and he says this, I commit to you, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, saying, this is, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so if we go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2.
he gives a, a description here as well. And we'll read the first five verses. He says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel <clears throat> in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Verse 5, you know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. And then one more passage in 2 Corinthians 11, as he's still writing to Corinth, he describes this to them in a little more detail. Second Corinthians 11, verses 7 through 11. 11, 7, yep. He says, was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way, and I will continue to do so. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, nobody in the regions of Achaia will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows that I do. And so... It makes it very difficult, like I said, to differentiate between true and false teachers when, when a, a salary or a financial compensation is established and provided on a regular basis uh, for a pastor. Um, it, it, it becomes easy for elders to become lax and also to be tempted by greed. Uh, and it puts some in a position to be accused of having wrong motives by their own people as well as people outside the church. Um, that may be looking in. So Paul teaches that those who excel in godly leadership are worthy of du double honor. So if we look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, um, this is in the middle of describing how the body of believers should take care of people in need, including uh, widows, elders, and people who are slaves and things like that. And so in the middle of this passage in verse 17, it says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Um, verse 18, for the scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. So it's easy to look at this, this particular passage and say, well, every pastor deserves double honor. What does double honor mean? What's that? 
Double honor for God, okay. Oh, from God? And how does that come? But, okay, rewards in heaven. But he's, he's actually telling Timothy that a, a godly person is worthy of double honor, and most pastors will look at that and they interpretate that as, okay, the church needs to compensate them pretty close to double what the average income is per family. Yeah, that's absolutely wrong. And the motives are clear when a pastor does that. And so, but when you look at what Paul is telling Timothy to teach, is he says, who direct affairs of the church well. What does that mean? That means the pastor who is, or the leader, who is in the, in the trenches with every other person, walking with them daily on a regular basis and not just because we see so many they come in they preach the gospel and 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 again i don't i'm not saying this to diminish what some pastors are doing but they're coming in and they're preaching the gospel and then they're going monday morning they're going okay leave me alone because i got to study for the next week which that is a part of it but most people that the the type of leaders that this is describing are like paul and like timothy where where they're on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week to minister to people when there are needs. And they have regular discipleship training one-on-one with people throughout, with people in their, in their flock that they're, that they're engaging with on a regular basis. And they're not doing it with a motive of saying, okay, now you need to compensate me. But their motive is to see people rise up into positions. And what Paul is saying to Timothy here is that when people see that and they recognize that, things should be shared. And they are worthy because they've invested in eternal uh, values into your life. Material values should be invested back into their life so that they can continue to do that without worry of how their needs are going to be met. Yes? Actually, no. Right, you're teaching them to grow up into it, but when, but when we have somebody in place that is a pastor, it's easy for the rest of the church to go, okay, that's his job. Cool. Filled. I'm going to sit here. And, and so the, the, the goal is that Paul is teaching is that every person in the body should be aspiring to that and, and how that turns into... Uh, evangelism is as you're doing that I'll tell you what when I'm with somebody on a day-to-day basis and I get up and go to work my mind is still on that and I'm going okay who's who can I talk to about Jesus today and so when that type of discipleship isn't going on and that type of just training and, and fanning into flame the gifts that are given to us isn't a part of my daily walk it's easy for me to go to work and say, okay, what do I got to get done today to take care of my family's needs? Yeah. Pride is your motive. 
Right, right. How how is that? <clears throat> that that I, I don't think that has anything to do with it. If that's your motive, then absolutely needs to be dealt with. But if your motive is is Lord, I'm suffering today. What do you want me to do? And if the Lord says. I gave you this responsibility to teach. I want you to please me. Then absolutely. Now, I don't. I don't look at that and say, okay, if the Lord does say, <laughs> stay home <laughs> today, yeah. you stay home. Right. Right. So. <clears throat> right. So there's there's a you know the the scripture says that um, to, for us to be always be ready with the Word of God in season and out of season. When I'm sicker than a dog, that's out of season. That's, that's, just, that's just the way it is. Um, if I'm so sick that I can't come in here and stand up where I could get dizzy and fall over and hit my head on the table, no, stay home. <laughs> and someone else, God will have somebody prepared already for that. Um, but you're, you're bringing to light another issue that's very difficult to deal with, especially in the, in the case where there are positions in the church. Um, and what about an elder? what's that? What an, elder? an elder is a shepherd. It's a shepherd. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a it's able to teach. Yes. Um, and so in James, he, he describes when he says, let the elders of the church come you know, and anoint with oil those who are sick. The interpretation in that is spirit-filled man. Okay, so the, the Greek language, it's not just the pastor or it's not just the leaders, but it's every spirit-filled man who is aspiring and to walk with the Lord and who is aspiring to, to be an elder, to, uh, to be a leader and is being led as well from other elders in the church as well. And so... Um, you know, the question that you're asking about pride, when there is a situation where a pastor is, uh, is an employee of the church, he has paid sick days. He has vacation time. He has all of these benefits that the corporate world offers that are nowhere in Scripture. You know, and because, so we naturally want to move into, you know, we want to implement those things because that's the logic of the human mind but it's not the spirit. And so, you know, <clears throat> and, and what you're describing is an important one because when Wayne calls and says, you know what, I'm sick, I, I, uh, I can't come in today, or if he is sick and he decides to come to in today, what right do I have to judge his motives for what he does? You know, uh, if it's clear what his motives are, then absolutely somebody has to take him aside and and say, you know what, um, maybe we should open up the Word of God and let's, let's talk about this. And so there's a, there's a point to that. Um, and Paul is describing when, when he's talking about finances coming into the leadership of the church, he's, he's giving them a caution. Um, he's saying there's a way to do it and there's a way not to do it. And, and the purpose isn't because the, the, the man of God doesn't deserve it or anything like that. 
But the purpose is to make sure that it doesn't look like a business. To make sure that nobody from the outside can look at it and say, well, that church is growing so much and they're doing so many things because they're paid to do that. Um, and is not growing because they're not paid. And it's easy to see that from, or to look at that and make that judgment from the outside. So when we read 1 Timothy 5.17, and he says that uh, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well, that's the prerequisite right there. Um, And he says they're worthy of double honor, especially those who work as preaching. Um, But then in the next verse, he says, do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought on by two or three witnesses. So there's a very cautious uh, line that's there so that uh, Jesus describes as well, don't let, don't, the right hand shouldn't let the left hand know what it's doing. Uh, I know I didn't say that correctly, but that's the gist of the passage. Um, so in other words, if somebody blesses me in some way or another, uh, I should give to that person. And, and I would even say that in some cases that the gift should be anonymous so that they can't be repaid. Okay, so there are times when, you know, we we do stuff together. We go out to eat and we buy for each other and stuff like that. And the gift is repaid back and forth. That's not the picture. The picture is the gift is given and either A, they don't know where it came from, or B, it's given and knowing that the only way it'll be repaid is by implementing the spiritual uh, forward testimony to the next person from this person and so you guys have probably all been through McDonald's drive through before, right? Have you ever pulled up and said, okay, here's my money, and they said, oh, the car in front of you paid for you. What's usual, the usual response? You pull it, pay for the one behind you. Do you, do you look in the mirror and see if it's a car load with a family of kids and <laughs> everybody else? Or, oh, yeah, it's just one guy. What do you order? A cup of coffee. Okay, got it. <laughs> Here you go. You don't, you don't. You don't look at the motive, and most people will say, okay, you know, uh, I want to pay for the one behind me, and that just, that's the chain reaction. And that's kind of a, a weird picture, but sometimes when you receive a gift from somebody that you know that you will never be able to give back, the purpose is, is that years down the road, God's going to bless you in somebody else's life so that that testimony about Jesus Christ goes forward and never comes back and, and comes back to you. That comes back to you from God's plan uh, in some other way. So, uh, wow, we spent a lot of time on that. Is that is that clear, Chris? Do you understand? Okay. So, you know, the, the leaders are worthy, and God will provide for them in some way, but the picture becomes blurry when the church as a body pays them and says, here's your check for the month, or here's your check for the week. And it's difficult then to see that there's no... No financial motive behind what they're doing. Yes? And that's, that's where I was going to with financial motive because this is Baptist Church Newcastle Lion and we do experience <coughs> church like if you could get a penny more, it's probably a penny more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Yeah, and you answered that question in your your answer right there. When I got hired on, 
that means you're my employee. And I tell you what. And so Paul is saying a true leader in the church is called of God to do it. And Paul says, it wasn't my idea. But God, when I was in the womb, before the foundation of the world, God had this plan, and I'm going to do what he says. And so, yeah. Right. Right. And so, and a pastor should never get up, and <laughs> I've heard of churches where they, where they pass the offering plate. Um, and I was, as I was studying this, I was thinking about the churches when I was a kid, uh, the church I grew up in, and it was a different time then. It's a different culture. Today, we w- I don't think we would ever get away with this in our churches. Um, but when I was a child, there was always a board on the wall it's the last Sunday's offering, and last Sunday's attendance, <laughs> you know, nodding your head if you've been in church for a long time, and there would be a dollar amount up there and a number of people and things like that, you know. And back then, when I was a child, I'm convinced that most people would look at that and go, wow, I, I, think, I, should, I think I should give a little more because I know they need it, and I have it. Today... Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Right. It, today it would be very easy. To go, they got enough. You know, they don't need my money. Um, and so we automatically, it's, it's, it's in our nature to do that comparison in our flesh um, when we really don't know that. And, you know, when we do that, we do that ignorant to the understanding that God knows what needs are going to be presented tomorrow uh, or next week. And we may look at it and go, wow, the church has got enough for what we've been doing. And then all of a sudden, there's a drastic need, and we're all going, ooh, wow. And then we're scrambling. And that's why in 1 Corinthians, at the end of 1 Corinthians, Paul describes, he says, give what God lays on your heart to give, and when I come, then no collections will have to be made because it will already be supplied. And so he tells him, you pray about it. If God lays it on your heart to give out of more than what you normally would, do that knowing that God's going to bless that moving forward. Were you going to say something else? Yes. So the church that I founded my dad at was very frugal. They used to send down all donations. They didn't want anybody to give because they knew everybody was hurting. Mm-hmm. And he said they never received so much in their life. Right. He said, and he said to this day, no church in England exists. Right. And this is what church in England doesn't have. Right. There are some churches today that don't pass an offering plate. They have, a, they have a plate in the back or a box or whatever, and you're supposed to go and give. Uh, and it's always described, giving financially is always described as a form of worship. Right, and so there are some churches that during the music, people get up and they bring their gifts and they put them in uh, while they're singing and while they're worshiping. So there's all different ways of doing it. But what you're describing, John MacArthur said the same thing. When they started gathering again, he says one thing we're tr- really trying to figure out how to do is is how to incorporate the offering again. He says, because people got so used to just going online and giving. He said that the money has just been overwhelmingly exceeded beyond what they used to take in. He said their their financial resources have just exploded. And he said people are coming back to church and they're still giving online and they're still giving more than what they used to. Uh, And so he's kind of you know, at one point, I don't know if they are now, but this was a few months ago where they were, he was in an interview talking about how uh, they don't know how they're going to start incorporating passing the offering plate again because there hasn't been a huge need for it because people have gotten so accustomed to doing it that way. 
So, um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so, um, let's see. Paul's example is that um, it's given by each person based on what God has laid on their hearts to give, and it's in relation to their income according to 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4. Paul himself comes to collect from the churches. It's always to deliver what was collected to Jerusalem. So some people would look and say, okay, well, Paul was coming to collect all of the, all of the thing that was, uh, that was taken up. Paul's motive, when Paul comes and takes it, as we read in 1 Corinthians 16, he collects it, and then his purpose, is, his goal is to deliver it back to Jerusalem where the Jews are in desperate need. They're living in poverty at this time. And so Paul's purpose in that is never to collect for himself. He doesn't ever do that. He always collects and then takes it and gives it to the, to the Jews in need in Jerusalem. And then his co-workers come along behind him. And they have picked up where people have said, hey, you know what? Take this and give it to Paul. Take this and, and put it into the ministry of the work that you guys are doing. And then they bring that gift along. And they supply Paul's needs through that. And then they go to work doing the same things that Paul's doing as well. So anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm not getting anywhere on this. this is gonna, there's going to be a part three. No, 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 I know, but there's going to be a part three next week. So. Yes. Right. Right. And also at the same time, and I and I didn't think about this. I forgot about this until just now. Is when when the church is treated like a corporation, retirement is a is a picture down the road, just like it is in in the corporate world. So if you look at people like uh, David Jeremiah and some of these other pastors and leaders who are getting up there in years. They don't travel as fast and as well as they used to and, and things like that. Have they ever retired? Most of those men that are godly men that are teaching and preaching are in the pulpit and they're teaching and they're one-on-one -on -one with people until the day they die. They do not stop giving. They may slow down because they just physically aren't able to but the message is always going forward. And I've had people ask me, you know, um, older people ask me, why doesn't God just let me die because I'm, I'm not accomplishing anything? And Paul tells Timothy, teach the older women to teach the younger women. Teach the older men to teach the younger men. And so even if a, a, a person is, is somewhat confined to their home because of their physical limitations, the technology we have today with FaceTime and telephones and just simple communication like that, we can, we can encourage each other. We can encourage the younger generations to walk in the Lord and give an example of that, you know, one-to-one. Um, -one. And, and, and there's never a place, I don't believe that, er, uh, that God ever allows a human being, a Christian, a follower of Christ, to stay on the earth with no purpose there's always something that can be done that God has put 
the, the resources in our path to allow the testimony about Christ to go forward, even if it's very limited, uh, even if it's very sm- small and minute in our mind. Um, Nico, ha- have you perfected being a father yet? <laughs> you know, <laughs> all, all my kids are grown and I still haven't perfected it. I still have to to seek uh, guidance and wisdom on, on how to talk to my grown children, um, how to be a, a good grandfather. Um, and so those kind of things are always in play um, within the body of believers. So uh, thank you for your attention this morning. I'm going to go ahead and just stop it right there, and, and we'll pick it up in Chapter 3 next week. God bless you guys. <laughs>